Welcome to the Campus Christian Fellowship Podcast for the University of Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Northern Iowa. Let's talk about fear for a little bit. I think fear is one of those things that most of us experience in mostly different ways. Uh, but I think that we can still find some common ground when talking about fears. I, uh, I, don't, I can't even remember this pr- uh, high school teacher's name, uh, but I remember he was my homeroom teacher my uh, junior senior year, one of the two. And uh, he was talking with a group of students, you know, as you do in homeroom, and he mentioned uh, that he thought that Jaws was the most effective scary movie ever. That it was the pinnacle scary movie. And I like movies a lot. I was uh, thinking about that question a little bit and just uh, trying to wrap my head around that. Now, Shadraz is an actual success because of a lot of the the features that it accomplishes. It started the summer blockbuster. It launched Steven Spielberg's career. It's a fantastic movie itself. It had a ton of production issues, but they still managed to make it. It's one of those uh, movies that is just an all-time classic and will always be, but uh, scariest movie of all time? I I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not necessarily advocating for some of these movies as a, a movie, but, like, I, don't know, I know The Exorcist is really popular, and... Uh, the uh, Friday the 13th and the Nightmare on Elm Street movies are all really popular, but uh, but Jaws? Scariest movie of all time? Well, his reasoning behind that is that what happens when you go see Nightmare on Elm Street, you go see Friday the 13th, you go see Halloween, you go see uh, Exorcist or something like that, you, you really have an experience. You know, if, you're, if you're in the modern movie theaters and, and you go see uh, something like It Chapter 2 or um, the whatever new Amityville or Exorcist movies are always coming out, you know, because there's always seems to be at least one a year. You just go into some horror movie, some Conjuring or Annabelle movie. What, what you're going to find is that you go to a movie and you have a two-hour experience. You generally go, you get frightened a little bit, and then you go home and and you're safe and you talk to people about the experience that you had in the movie after the movie it's just Jaws is not that because what Jaws did is it actually was the first real movie and it did it the best to establish bringing the fear home if you think about life after Jaws I mean, beach attendance went down after Jaws, especially that for those first couple summers after the movie's released. Uh, beach attendance went down, and let alone uh, you know, people that would be swimming deeper in the water. And, uh, and if you had a child, your child you know, was always close to you, or, uh, or you wouldn't let them go out very far. If you went with them, you would... Or if, you, if they went, you would often go with them. It was just... All of a sudden, people started having this, this fear... Of, of sharks that wasn't necessarily mainstream until that movie. It was a fear by some people, but it wasn't a common fear. I have a lot of fears myself. I have uh, a fear of, of clowns when they're not at the circus, because that's just weird. Well, you should be a clown at the circus and nowhere else. Um, I have a fear of spiders. I have uh, a fear of... Um, 
uh, of being in bodies of water that I cannot like see beneath myself. Like like if I'm in a lake and I cannot see beneath the surface, I am scared of that. Uh, I, I, I know there's a lot of other fears that I have too. Fear of loneliness, uh, fear of failure, uh, just a lot of fears. Maybe you identify with some of these fears. Maybe you're not like Maybe you're not like me and you have a social fear. I am very extroverted. I don't really have a problem with anything very public. But maybe you have some sort of social phobia, especially in the form of of public speaking or uh, any, that manifests itself in anxiety. But uh, I'm sure as we talk about fear, you've been thinking, what is your worst fear? I want you to think about something that maybe nobody's ever asked you before. What is your first encounter with your fear and have you ever actually lived your fear see I am scared of spiders but I really wasn't necessarily scared of spiders until uh, until seeing pictures of them up close in, in books and kind of their, their, their eyes and their, their fangs are, are just creepy and nothing should have more than four legs let alone eight I uh Fear of clowns was brought about because of horror stories that were told in movies or in books or from from other people I knew. Uh, my fear of something in the water just came from countless times that I'd see some movie that had some sort of uh, attack in in a water in a body of water or uh, or just horror stories or just like fear of the unknown. And if I don't know what's literally right next to me, then that's kind of terrifying. But a lot of my fears, I've never actually lived. Like, I don't often experience clowns. I mean, spiders come sometime, but I also they're mostly daddy long legs, and we all know that they're actually not harmful. I mean, and sometimes you have other spiders. Maybe you're in a place where where you actually know a lot of spiders, and you 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 see them constantly, and you see some deadly ones. But uh, I I think a lot of us, at least with some of our biggest fears, aren't, aren't necessarily encountering it in a way that was just think of heights for example i am scared of heights i found out i was scared of heights because i swung too high on the swing set and got scared and and after that i knew i'm scared of heights i i I get to tall places which is weird because i'm six foot three um so i'm just always tall but I, i i figure i found some places that uh i just really God, it's terrified me. So, I lived out that fear that way, but I I was taught to fear clowns. I was taught to fear spiders. Give you a couple of fear statistics. The 10 most common fears is arachnophobia, which of course is spiders, odiophobia, which is snakes, acrophobia, which is heights, aerophobia, which is flying. All these seem pretty common so far. Xenophobia, which is dogs. That's C-Y-N-O, not X-E-N-O. Uh, X-E-N-O is fear of foreigners, but that's not on this list. Uh, astrophobia is a fear of thunder and lightning. Uh, trypanophobia is the fear of, injection, of, of injections. I identify with that quite a bit. Um, social phobia is, uh, is social anxiety, uh, primarily in the form of public speaking. Uh, this is manifested. Agoraphobia is the fear of being alone, um, and that is works both ways. That is both in g- terms of general loneliness as well as being at home alone 
at night with your with nobody else around uh, and then misophobia which is a fear of germs and it's different than germophobia because misophobia is a little bit more broad so these are the most common fears and as I look at these the, there's there's a couple things that I take away from this first is is uh, xenophobia with dogs well this is the only one on this list that is usually brought about from some sort of childhood trauma spider snakes Heights, flying, thunder, lightning, injection, social anxiety, being alone in germs, those aren't necessarily brought about. Those are usually not brought about by some ch- sort of childhood drama. But xenophobia, fear of dogs, is almost always a, becomes a fear because of a bad experience as a child with a dog. I have a, I have a dog myself. He's a one-year-old corgi. His name is Cheddar. He's absolutely adorable. He's very energetic, and he will love you, and I'm sure you uh, he, he would love for a chance for you to love him. But... If you're a small child, he has a lot of energy and it is just way too much. So I get fear of dogs. I've seen two-year-olds interact around him. Here's the other thing I noticed about this list is that a lot of these fears are are irrational. Because and I have some of these fears that I'm also calling irrational. But it just doesn't make much sense why we're actually afraid of these things. So let's take a let's let's take this example. Fear of flying, aerophobia. It's not a fear I have, but it's a fear that I know a lot of people have. Uh, uh, roughly forty percent of passages report at least a little bit of this fear. Now, of course, I get a little anxiety, but I I wouldn't say I fear flying. I have a little bit of anxiety when when the plane lands. Um, so, but let's take this statistic for example. Only one person in three million flights dies due to an error in the plane. One person in three million flights. So if you take that stat and you and you figure there's however many seats on a plane, you also have to multiply that many flights by that many seats, typically, because oftentimes plane crashes, if, if they are fatal, wind up being very fatal instead of not very fatal. So one, in th- one person in three million flights, that is a very irrational fear to have when you finally get to the numbers. The odds of you dying in a plane crash is, uh, is, is kind of minuscule. Let's think about snake bites too. Now, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I don't like snakes, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's a fear of snakes. Uh, but you have a one in 50 million chance of dying by a snake bite. That is crazy. Makes snakes a little bit less scary. Let's talk about spider bites for a minute. I told you spiders is one of my fears, but uh, spider bite, the 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 actual percentage of death is practically non-existent. Almost never. In fact, we think of Australia having a lot of a lot of vicious and deadly spiders. That's what the home to to a lot of the most most deadly spiders, but there hasn't been a death from a spider bite in Australia since 1979. The reason for this, of course, is because of the development of anti-venom and that most and that spider bites are now treatable and sp- places with high spider concentrations have the right anti-venom. But in general, man, the odds of you dying for a spider bite is practically zero. So why are we so scared of spiders? Maybe if you're something like you have a 1 in 103 chance of dying in a car wreck. If you're American, you have a 1 in 6 chance of dying from heart disease or natural causes. Or if you're human, you have a 1 in 7 chance of dying from cancer. 
And I know a lot of these are our fears, but... It makes snakes and spiders and planes feel quite a bit less less terrifying. So I want to turn... I, w I wanted to discover why exactly we fear some of the things that we shouldn't. And so ultimately, what, what I was discovering is that fear is, is our way of unintentionally crafting a story. We talked a little bit about stories, and if you weren't around for that podcast, go ahead and check out uh, our, our week two. We talked about stories. We talked about what makes a good story. And, you know, some of these things that we talked about, what has a good story? Well, fear has the same thing. Fear has characters. Now, these characters are often us as the main character. And, you know, if it's something like a, a fear of a clown, then you have other characters as well. But almost always, we ourselves are involved in this fear. If we're imagining a plane crashing or... Uh, or a spider bite, it's often we are bitten by the spider or we are in the plane that is going down. Which leads me to plot. Stories have plots. Fear says plots. It's not just, we don't just fear just randomly having a spider bite, but we fear being actually uh, bitten by the spider. We're doing something and then all of a sudden we're bitten by a spider, we're rushing to the hospital, we're trying to get whatever taken care of or, or whatever, the spider's maybe massive and he just eats you whole and it's just... Terrible, but all these things also lead into it contains vivid imagery. Stories rely on imagery, and fear relies on imagery. And lastly, the both both of them have suspense. That one should be fairly obvious. But fears also do something that is just crazy. So fears make us think about the future. Not all storytelling makes us think about the future, but fear makes us think about the future. And once in a while, our fears can predict the future. If we're fearing about something that we're, that we're afraid might happen and one day it actually happens, then that is just crazy. But humans actually have this, this capability that no other creature has. And as we have the ability to time travel mentally, Humans have the ability to say to, to tell their own story and to place themselves in the future of their story. We have the ability to say, I want to be here and to place ourselves there. We have the ability to look at the future and be like, this is where I see myself in five years. No other creature has that capability. And so what we do with that is we imagine a frightful future. And one thing leads to another when you when you lead to the future because everything leads to something else which leads to something else and eventually you're you're in this future point that you're at you have to have the future doesn't just happen but if you want the, the career you finish high school and and you you do college or trade school whatever your career is or maybe you don't have to have any of that higher education but uh, you finish these things and so you choose to go to college and then you find the job that you that you wanted and so you do internships you maybe take some less great jobs but eventually you get there so one thing always leads to another and we imagine these really bad stories with our fears. But the thing about fear in terms of storytelling is that we are the author of our stories. So really what fear comes down to is a matter of what story you're going to listen to. And I think we can talk about this in, in, just, a, in just a little perspective. So stoicism is an ancient uh, uh, philosophy. It's a, what happened was there was these bunch of philosophers that would sit on this porch, which would, which would be called a stow, 
and they would sit around and they would just talk about things. And so what we talk about with modern day Stoicism is, is what they would talk about when they were on the Sto, which simply is boiled down to sep- separating what you can versus what you cannot control. That's essentially the, the main point behind Stoicism. Now, what happens with fear, specifically in relation to this control aspect, is that we, ha- we have this thing which we call the premeditation of evils, which is fear. When we're talking about fear specifically in the Stoicism, talking about control, essentially what we do with this premeditation of evil is, is say, well, we're, visualize- we're only visualizing the worst case scenario. If we choose to tell a story, we are always imagining the worst case scenario, which ultimately hinders us from doing our best. If I think about flying to Australia, my immediate thought is that I might encounter a a very poisonous snake or a violent kangaroo, not about the beautiful countryside, uh, the the beautiful scenery and the uh, and, and the people that are there and and just the culture that is there embracing that culture. If I think about flying, my my fiance and I were just talking about honeymoon destinations. We were talking about the Dominican Republic, and my very first thought was, a lot of Americans have been dying there recently because of, of uh, of, of poisoning. So I don't I don't really want to go there because immediately I thought about the worst case scenario, which is we get poisoned and die. And so what happens is. This is sort of three step process for for overcoming this premeditation of evil. So first of all, is recognizing our recognizing our thought process for this. So so what happens is when we think about the about the the most negative thing first, what we really do is we define what we want to do, and then we define things that prevent that. And our solution is by simply avoiding anything at all. So if I'm afraid of snakes, I don't go to Australia. That's kind of the solution because if I if I don't want to encounter a snake, then I don't go to Australia. That is the fix. But I do want to go to Australia. If I'm afraid of flying, then I'm going to, if I'm afraid of a plane crashing, then I'm going to prevent that fear by simply not riding on airplanes. And so what happens is that keeps us from doing our absolute best, from living our best lives. And so what we really need to do to start shift this focus is think about what might be the positive potentials even for a partial success. Think about specifically in terms of fear of public speaking. Uh, instead of taking into account some sort of, um, of, of the worst possible scenario, what if you change that to thinking a little bit about what might possibly be the smallest success? Well, let's take this into a real-world example. There is, um, think of 1960s America. We've landed on the moon. So what if our, our people at NASA would have been controlled by their fears and not attempted that? What if they would have been uh, controlled in a way that that made them stop their efforts towards getting to the moon. Well, that would have changed a lot of our knowledge and concepts of space and specifically the moon and our studies uh, of that and of the different atmospheres in, in this world. We would, we would be way behind scientifically outside this world. But 
what we what we did is we said, well, let's just try to get to the moon. And now we're planning missions to Mars and to farther planets because we've had success. Now, it's, it's this phrase I like to use a lot. We always say that, you know, you should you know, shoot for the moon is a common expression. Well, I do like that expression a lot because, you know, it's it shows that we should really strive for something that seems so unattainable for us. I like to change that expression, though, to be a little bit like, let's shoot for another galaxy, because here's what I believe about that analogy. If we shoot for making it outside this galaxy, and we make it to, let's say, Jupiter, we still made it to Jupiter. Even if it's a partial success, that is a huge success. And so the third thing we need to do is we need to see the cost of inaction. So after defining what our success might be, then we have to look at what is the consequences if we give in to our fears. What are the consequences six months from now? What are the consequences one year from now? What are the consequences three years from now? What happened if John F. Kennedy said we are not going to even try to go to the moon? How would that affect America in the 70s? How would that affect America today how would that affect the world see there's one thing i've really learned about fear over the study is that there's this quote from seneca he says we often suffer or we suffer more often in imagination than in reality see because i am afraid of spiders but i've never consciously been bitten by a spider I'm afraid of clowns, but I've never been attacked by a clown. One of the most common examples I can think of is when I'm walking somewhere alone late at night and I get afraid of somebody jumping me or mugging me. And I think of, I think of that, um, I think of that reality in my head, in my imagination. And I experience that fear and that trauma that comes with that. But in reality, I've never been mugged. I've never been jumped. I've never been robbed. I've never had to suffer in that way. Let's take, uh, let's take that same example, though, and let's talk about one final thing, and that fears are not always negative because that particular fear is something that I do think is a beneficial fear because you know we've all done it. Where you take our keys, you stick it between your fingers like wolverines, and you're ready for an, if an attacker comes. And that's that's readiness, that's preparedness. That is fi- that is a good fear that is building up for in case something bad happens. You know how to respond. So not all fear is bad. And let me just tell you, my deepest fear is is a good fear. My deepest fear is thinking about how the church, specifically CCF, could change the world. You know, we've seen countless examples of people that have changed the world, either for better or for worse. You know, it's easy to think of some big examples, but one of my favorite recent stories is the story of this guy named Carson King. Maybe you've heard of him. He's an Iowa State graduate who went to the Iowa State versus Iowa game, and because uh, because college game day for ESPN was at Iowa State, they they got a picture or they got Carson King in the background. He held up a sign that said, "I'm out of beer money, Venmo me," and he had his Venmo up there. Well, what happened is somebody sent him some money, 
or he said uh, somebody sent him some money and and some more people send him some money, and he is a little bit in the game, and all of a sudden his Venmo account has six hundred dollars in it, and he and he calls mom. He's like, I don't know what to do. Well, by the time he gets done with that phone call, he has over a thousand dollars in his Venmo account. So what he decides to do is he said, All right, I'm going to buy myself one case of beer, and the all of the rest of it, I'm going to donate to the University of Iowa Children's Hospital. And then because of that commitment, all of a sudden more money started coming in. More thousands of dollars. Eventually, it reached to a point where Bush Light saw his sign that said, need to resupply Bush Light. And it, they saw his sign and they said, whatever Carson King gets, we're going to match it. And Venmo saw that advertising that was coming to them and said, whatever Carson King's, we're also going to match it. So because of one person, he got any donations for a month to be tripled to go to the University of Iowa Children's Hospital. And Carson King by himself raised a million dollars and then it was matched so that three million dollars was donated to the University of Iowa Children's Hospital. That is a hero. And that is one person. That's why I'm so scared of the positive impact that the roughly 30-35 here at CCF can have on this campus. That should scare all of us. Hey, thanks for checking us out and spending some time with us this week. Quick reminder, if you're a student at Iowa State, University of Northern Iowa, or University of Iowa, we would love to connect you with a campus minister. So reach out to ccf.uiowa at gmail.com, and we will make sure we get you connected. Be sure to specify your school in an email. Additionally, if you have questions about anything you've heard today or anything that's on your mind, we would love a chance to answer that here anonymously. So you can also just drop a line there. Again, that is ccf.uiowa at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week, and please know that we are praying for you.